What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, how you going? Welcome to Mr. Sitter. It's me, Lokash. Thanks for joining me once again. This is uh, this is day three of the World Cup, and uh, it was the first night that I watched four matches uh, and um, slept for about forty-five minutes in between each of them. So uh, tired, yeah, real tired and real cranky about a lot of shit. So we're gonna. We're going to chat about what I'm cranky about in a minute, uh, but before I get into that, I just wanted to shout out uh, my guys at False Nine Threads. Uh, they're sponsoring this podcast. Uh, it's iconic moments captured in streetwear. Iconic football moments captured in streetwear. Here I have John Aloisi scoring the goal that uh, that put Australia into the 2006 World Cup. Uh, an iconic moment and something extremely pertinent to what we're going to be talking about today. I'm wearing this for a reason. Uh, so yeah, check out False Nine Threads. Uh, really, really cool stuff there. We've got four games to talk about. I'm only going to go into two of them in any great detail, uh, and I think you know which ones they are. So let's just let's just get into it. First game, Argentina, Saudi Arabia. Holy shit. Uh, shock of the tournament so far is uh, a big fat fucking understatement. Um, but yeah, what, what a fun watch. The, f- the first half was kind of boring, other than uh, Saudi Arabia's high line scaring the shit out of me. I thought you surely, um, you know, Argentina only have to beat the offside trap a couple of times and you're going to get absolutely fucked here. Um, but the offside trap worked again and again. And I was a bit shitty because I had predicted that Lautaro would be the uh, top scorer of this tournament. But uh, he got he got caught out a couple of times by the offside trap. And um, yeah, look, in the first half, I was thinking credit to these guys, uh, unlike Iran and Qatar, They've actually got a game plan here, and they're actually coming out and taking it to Argentina. So I was I was proud of them, but you you all you kind of thought, well, it's only a matter of time before Argentina run away with it. Nope. Little did we know what was about to come. Uh, they won. Saudi Arabia beat beat Argentina. It's uh, it's nuts. And um, even when they scored the first goal, I was like, ah, oh, that's nice. You know, this should wake Argentina up. Uh, good for the Saudis, good for that guy who scored. I'm sure each of his 10 wives uh, is is thrilled right now. But they totally shell-shocked Argentina. And um, when that second one went in, man, I, I went ballistic. I was I was so happy. Um, you know, and, and I like this Argentina side. I'm rooting for this Argentina side to do well. I love Messi. I think it would be great for him to um, to win the World Cup. Obviously, a lot of people do. I love Lautaro, even though he plays for Inter. He's just such a wonderful striker. I used to love Angel Di Maria before he decided to um, to come to Juve, basically, as a World Cup warm-up, sign a one-year contract, do absolutely fucking nothing, get injured a bunch of times, and not really care too much about it. So I don't like him anymore. But I used to love him. Uh, I love this Argentina side, and fundamentally, I don't like Saudi Arabia, if that's cool to say, TikTok, sorry. Um, But only football can make a neutral route for Saudi Arabia, I guess. Um, It was crazy. Uh, The man of the match was the goalkeeper, uh, Mohamed Al-Owais, who plays for Al-Hilal, in uh, Saudi Arabia, he he was great, save after save, and there was a moment where uh, th- that high line was breached. Somebody went through, I think it might have been Lautaro, and he just came sliding out of the box, booted the ball away, and I actually got up and fist-pumped. Uh, he was great. Um, the celebrations were wild. 
at full time. When the Saudis won, they went crazy. There's a video that's gone viral. Uh, you guys should check it out where like a, a Saudi family at full time like lose them. It might have been when they scored, but they lose their mind to the point where one member of the family rips a door off its hinges and just throws it out of the room. Uh, and the king of Saudi Arabia has declared the following day, uh, today, uh, I guess it's today, whenever whenever the equivalent of today would be for them, a, uh, a public holiday, which is pretty sick. Um, I don't know if uh, beating Argentina in football uh, equates to a public holiday for every nation, but it should. It totally should, because that's cool. Um, and what else is cool is that Argentina... Had they won, they would have equaled Italy's record for most consecutive international matches undefeated. Uh, and they didn't, which is great. Italia, Italia. Yeah, the boys. Yeah, the boys. Um, I, I, I don't know what this means for the group. As we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, it was very hard to gauge how good Poland and Mexico are. Argentina will have it all to do. Still think they'll make it through without problems. Uh, but hey... What a storyline to follow in that group. Next match was Denmark-Tunisia. Uh, it was nil all. Uh, so, was, so was the following game. Spoiler alert. It was nil all. Uh, match reports said that they they, they played a, a thrilling nil all draw. It was fine. It was far from thrilling. It was fine. Uh, I said Tunisia were good. I said it in the preview. And Tunisia are good. Tunisia were energetic. They really took the game to Denmark. They missed a couple of good chances. And they are not an easy team to play against. Don't underestimate them. Uh, don't overestimate Denmark either. I think so many... Oh, the, 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 your dark horses, oh, they shouldn't even be dark horses because they're so good. They should be up there among the favorites. Bullshit. Anyone that's predicted Denmark to win this group or go far in the tournament, you're kidding yourselves. You're, with a, you, 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 you're viewing it with rose-tinted goggles um, as per the Euro run that they had. They really don't have the players uh, that you think that they have. And the Euro one, yeah, it was good, but it was carried on the strength of the um, kind of goodwill that was garnered from what happened to Christian Eriksen, which, sure, great. Um, can't take that away from them, but they were in a pretty easy group. Um, they had a pretty easy to navigate round of 16 tie, and then they played Czech Republic in the quarterfinals, who aren't very good. And then they, yeah, they they probably should have beaten England in the semis. The Raheem Sterling penalty was definitely not a penalty, but still, like, okay, okay. They're not going to go far in this tournament. They couldn't knock over Tunisia. Uh, Andreas Cornelius missed the sitter of all sitters. Uh, he's missed the sitter today, um, like a header maybe about 30 centimeters away from goal. He missed it, um, and I'm pretty sure he's only good at headers, that guy. So, no bueno for, for, uh, for Denmark. And uh, no bueno for El Mexico because in the game against Poland, I was I was wrong. I was wrong with how the script was going to go. I thought Poland were finally going to show up at an at a international tournament. Uh, Lewandowski finally has a pretty decent supporting cast around him, including no fewer than seven Serie A players in the starting lineup, including Wojciech Szczesny, uh, my boy, who, who's, who played well in goals, as he always does, uh, and the likes of uh, Zielinski, great player for Napoli, but also some players you might not have heard of. Uh, Zalewski, who is a, a teenager, and uh, he could have played for Italy, but he decided to play for Poland, and he's a left wing back for Roma. He's going to be an excellent player in a few years. And Kivior, who plays for Spezia, who's a very, very underrated center back. Uh, they all started for Poland, and I thought that they might be 
in with a chance of, of beating Mexico because Mexico have come in with pretty poor form. They've got an aging team. They have no real stars, but they were the better team here. Uh, they were totally the better team, uh, even though Poland probably should have won it. Lewandowski, again, no impact on the biggest stage of international football, misses a penalty, or rather has his penalty saved by the effervescent, the evergreen, the wonderful Guillermo Ochoa, who like gets kept in a hyperbolic time chamber for four years every year except the World Cup. Uh, and then he just gets released and all of a sudden he's like the best goalkeeper in the world. Save the penalty from Lewandowski and uh, it's another nil-nil draw, which we'll see. It's super interesting to see what's going to happen in this group now because as you can see, Saudi Arabia fucking threat to all of them. Like it's not going to be a walkthrough for any of them. You know, you think navigating the, the, the Argentina game is going to be the big difficulty for all of them. It's not. This this group could go anyway, and that's that's super exciting. And I would almost think that Saudi Arabia have. I mean, they're, they're top of the group, clear. Uh, I would say they probably have a better chance of going through than at least what I saw from Poland. And we'll see about we'll see about Mexico. Uh, so that's that game, two nil alls. Uh, that was that was really worth losing on my fucking sleepover. I'm kidding. I do it for you. I do it for the love. Uh, but here's what we're here's what we're actually here to talk about. Here's what the the big tale from uh, from this round of, uh, of fixtures was. France, Australia, world champions, France versus uh, uh, m- 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 local, you know, the country that I'm born and raised and live in, um, you know, heart, heart on the sleeve. Didn't want to see it go down like this. 4-1. And, you know, you think to yourself, these are the world champions. They have the likes of Kylian Mbappe, uh, not to mention just... Uh, an entire squadron, a platoon of world-class players. Maybe you take 4-1 uh, before the match. Maybe maybe you say, okay, we scored a goal. We went 1-0 up. That's great. We showed the world who we are. We defended stoutly and we conceded four goals against you know the world champions, world-class team. It's okay. And maybe I would have accepted that before the game. But my narrative has very, very, very quickly shifted to be something else. Um... But let's just look at the game first. Uh, there, there felt like there'd be a real sense of purpose coming into the match. I don't know. I liked it. Uh, the, the sun was coming up. I had just watched three games that I had no really no dog in the race, uh, no skin in the game. But uh, I have skin in the game for this. I'm supporting Australia. I always want Australia to do well. I'm fucking Australian. Uh, the stadium was amazing. It was grand. I don't know what I don't know what the stadium's called, but the stadium that they played in was beautiful. It was so much better than the pizza box that they that the opening ceremony in the first game was held in. Um, and somehow I felt okay. The Saudis beat Argentina. We've got every chance here. We like there's 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 hope. Um, and I thought I thought that there, that there might there might be something happening here. And I also felt really good. I felt 15-year-old me felt nostalgia deep within myself. And it might have been Craig Foster pulling out the old tactics board before the match. It might have been hearing David Bashir commentating. David Bashir. I haven't heard David Bashir commentating since I was 16, waking up early to go to school because at my school they would sometimes play the Champions League games in the morning and I would I would hear David Bashir commentating and I hated his commentary then and I hate it now but it felt so nice to hear I don't know it just felt so warm inside and uh, his commentary partner was none other than Australia's greatest ever player Harry Kuehl 
and more on him later because uh, I I don't think he should be commentating ever again. But yeah, I just I felt it felt good that something something felt like it was happening. Um, and Australia were defending really, really well to start. They were dropping so, so deep, two real deep banks of four. And then when when the French would get to the box, you know, there was no space for Mbappe and Dembele to operate in, and those guys are just freaks when they're given space to operate in. So I thought, okay, this is a good game plan. Like, this is, this is how we're going to hold these guys out. I thought there's always a danger of these guys, instead of just being able to dribble and, and you know, make that space, there's always a chance they're going to get crosses into the box and Giroud is going gonna, is gonna to score. And that, that ended up happening. You knew Giroud was going to score in this game. I uh, ended up with two. Uh, but then, Goodwin scores. The whole nation goes nuts. I go nuts. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I thought, the way we'd been defending... I couldn't believe that uh, uh, that we had actually scored a goal, a quality goal. Leckie does so well on the right. He skins Lucas Hernandez to the point where Hernandez went down and just pretended that he was injured in order to save face, in order to save being embarrassed. He's not injured. I'm telling you, he's fine. He just like didn't want the ignominy of having been ripped by Matthew Leckie. Uh, who I love, by the way. I, I love Matthew Leckie. He's been one of my favorite um, Australian players for the last decade. I'm so glad that he got uh, he got this moment. Uh, and then and then uh, Hernan- Lucas Hernandez, who is a center back playing left back, was replaced by his brother Teo Hernandez, who's actually left back and a much much better player and a much much more attacking player which Deschamps has been so reluctant to ever use in his time. He plays with the two inverted center backs as right and left back and it just feeds into his tactics, which are, of course, give the ball to your Mbappes and your Griezmanns and your whoever up front and just let them do whatever they want. And it's just like such a such a shit approach. It won them the World Cup in 2018, yes, but they just had so abundantly, so much more than anybody else better players that it worked. And in World Cups, you tend to just win by having better players, which is which is what told today. Um and, and, and it's, exact, it's exactly what happened. It's just not inspiring to see. And I'm glad that Teo Hernandez kind of pushed him, like, like he was forced into doing that sub, and that sub was worked well for the French because a lot of their danger came from the left. Uh, he, he provided the assist for the opening goal, which was scored by Adrian Rabiot, who I told you motherfuckers you weren't ready for in this World Cup. Adrian Rabiot has been killing it for Juve, and somehow... Yeah, goal and assist turns the game around two one to France. Uh, the Atkinson mistake to to lose possession while trying to play out of the back was pretty fucking rough, um, and you know just kind of goes to show that this Australia team isn't very good. Um, we're gonna get we're gonna get we're gonna get there. Just let me just let me just cover everything else for a moment, uh, and from there on, the second half of the first half, France were really putting it on us and Harry Kuehl was like he was like um oh uh, it seems like the French have figured something out I think they've they've worked it out you know they've because because they get they get the crosses they get to the byline and they get the crosses they send the crosses to the edge of the box they're sending the crosses deep because that's what like like they almost like they know that Australia are playing a deep line and it's like yeah that's exactly what's happening Kuehl <laughs> Congratulations, man. Yes, obviously, they kept trying to cross it and dribble in, and they found that all eight 
of Australia's defenders were in the box defending them. Of course, they're going to go deep and try and do something else, which was actually fucking working, and they were getting shots away. It was like, cool. I found him cute and quite charming to begin with because he's clearly not a commentator, but um, he shouldn't be commentating, guys. We can't we can't have David Bashir and another idiot on commentary. So, Harry, I love you. I, I absolutely adore you, but please don't please don't commentate anymore. Um, the second half seemed like a total formality. Um, Australia did nothing, and France put put another two goals on us, and probably should have put. A few more on us. Uh, it seemed like a total formality. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, okay, world champions, um, the the disparity in quality would dictate that this should be the scoreline that we see. I'm talking about it with a few mates in group chats and we're saying, you know, we did okay. David Bashir saying, you know, let's, let's keep it respectable for goal difference sake. And at some point I just thought, Fuck that. Why should I accept this quality of football from from my national team? This was an embarrassment in every sense of the word. You know we've qualified for every single World Cup since since this moment. Since 2006, we've qualified for every single World Cup. And instead of capitalizing on that magical run in that tournament, we have progressively produced a worse and worse team in each World Cup, culminating in this this team, the most uninspiring Socceroos team, at least, I've seen in my lifetime. Um, I grew up watching Mark Viduka, and now I get to watch Mitch Duke, and I don't think that's very fair. Which of these players would make that 2006 Socceroos team? Um, I would say it would be Harry Sutar, who was excellent, um, and I think Harry Sutar is probably the best Socceroos player. He was excellent, real elegant, great centre-back. Uh, I hope he I hope he has a big future. Aaron Moy would be in the squad, wouldn't start. Matthew Leckie, maybe, um, uh, you know, ex- again, wouldn't start. Uh, Ryan, they'd bring him, he'd be the third keeper. There's no way he'd start ahead of Schwarzer uh, and even Kalach. So so four of them, no, no one else, no one else. And that's not nostalgia, that's, that's reality. Um, we should be producing a caliber of, of footballer in this country that we just we just aren't. If you look at the the quality of athlete that we produce in other sports, I mean rugby, cricket, swimming, athletics, uh, tennis, even I mean Nick Kyrgios, sure, but we don't have a Nick Kyrgios level footballer. Do you understand? We don't have we don't have that, and I I just don't understand why. And it's not an issue of population. It's not. You know, Australia has a comparatively small population to other big countries in the world, um, and especially compared to our land mass. But overall, the population of Australia dwarfs uh, some countries that I'm going to throw at you now, uh, the likes of Belgium, Croatia, Serbia, Uruguay, Colombia, the Netherlands, Portugal. I'm not sure if you're aware of the footballing caliber of these nations, but uh, yeah, it's not an issue of population, guys. Uh, it's an issue of culture. It's definitely an issue of culture, not only football culture, but ge- but culture generally in this country. Uh, our biggest football export of the last decade, and if he continues on the trajectory that he's on, uh, probably ever, is by far Ange Postecoglou. He's he's he is the the holy grail of what Australia has ever been able to produce on on a footballing level. 
Um, and he has come out multiple times and said, I had to leave Australia. I had to leave Australia because nothing gets done here. Uh, whenever you want to get something done, it's got to go through six or seven different people. So much red tape, so much bullshit bureaucracy to the point where you can't introduce anything new uh, and it's impossible to get anything done. There's just too much infrastructural garbage um, and it's impossible to implement anything. Now, if you look at the most comparable nation to, to Australia's situation, it's the USA. Right. If you look at the USA team from, say, take, take 2006, for example. Um, at that point, we were probably punching neck and neck in terms of what we represented to the world as a country. This is a big country that has a proud sporting history, uh, do well in the Olympics. Uh, football has not been traditionally the biggest sport, but it's growing in these countries. And you might have one or two really good players that are playing in Europe. You know, for every Harry Kuehl, there's a Landon Donovan. For every Viduka, there was a Brian McBride. For every Mark Schwarzer, there was a Brad Friedel or a Tim Howard. Uh, but that's about it. And now, uh, football is the fastest growing team sport in the USA. It's number one. And it's been reflected in the quality of players that they have been producing now I personally think this so-called golden generation of USA talent is a little bit overrated, but nonetheless, you've got players in top clubs all around Europe. Weston McKenney, Juve, Christian Pulisic, Chelsea, Gio Reyna at, um, at Borussia Dortmund, uh, Serginio Dest has somehow managed to play for Ajax, Barcelona, and AC Milan, um, and... Australia just absolutely can't keep up. The USA are on to something. And I don't know if winning the World Cup, uh, as in like winning the bid to host the World Cup, spurred that on. That could be great for us and that might be what, what changes it. Didn't fucking do anything for Qatar, but that's neither here nor there. We are not going to see a team like the Wagaroos for a long, long time. And it makes me think that maybe implementing the A-League, maybe implementing the A-League wasn't the best decision. See, the A-League was put in to expunge the kind of ethnic stench from all of the clubs that were playing in the then um, NPL. But let me tell you, it's still happening. Um, I went and watched Sydney United, formerly Sydney Croatia, and still Sydney Croatia at its core, play a couple of times this season um, in the Australia Cup. And that's real passion, guys. That's real passion that you don't get in the A-League. And that comes from the vestige of that system, which produced the best players that this country has ever seen. Am I sad to not see Greek, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese surnames in this Socceroos team? Fucking oath. Um, I, I absolutely should be. I mean, like, this is not a, this is not a thing against white guys. This is not a thing against against Anglos. There should there should be there should be representation of every of every ethnic group in this country, in this Socceroos team, if we're doing things correctly, shouldn't we? I mean, we, we laud our multiculturalism. We laud the degree to which we have people of every single background in this country, yet I've never seen an Asian Australian playing uh, at, at, at A-League level, let alone for the Socceroos. And that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So look, I'm not the guy who should be telling everybody what... Like, I'm, I don't have the answers. I'm not the guy with the answers. Um, but I just think to look at this and say, oh, yeah, proud of the boys. They did so well considering we played against the world champions or whatever. Bullshit. Bullshit. Why should I accept this? I don't. Um, we 
we as proper footballing fans in this country, we deserve better. We deserve a better performance. The soccer is a shit, and um, and there's no there's no other way to slice that bread. Uh, look, maybe I'm a bit cranky. Uh, this is the first night where I watched four matches, um, and uh, I'm going to be watching four matches moving here on out uh, every night. So I'm going to progressively be getting crankier and crankier. If you agree with my Socceroos rant, you're right. And um, you should leave a comment or, or something letting us know, uh, letting us, me and me and these two, letting us know uh, if you agreed or, or if you didn't agree. Um, tonight, tonight uh, is actually a lot more fun. I think um, I, I've got lost a lot less stake in tonight. And there are, there are cooler matches, I think, tonight. Tonight we have Morocco, Croatia, we have Germany, Japan, we have Spain, Costa Rica, and we have Belgium versus Canada, uh, respectively. Uh, Morocco, Croatia, I'm so excited for. Morocco, I've got some excellent players. Croatia, always fun to watch, and I have predicted that Morocco are going to get a result here, and I think Morocco are going to make it through the group. Uh, I'm excited to see that one. Uh, Japan, Germany, fuck yeah. Um, Germany are kind of under-the-radar favorite of this tournament. This, they're always going to be Germany. They've been shit for a little while, but they're going to be good. Um, and Japan are going to be real good too. I think J- I, I have said Japan are going to make it through this group, but I don't think they're going to get a result here, but it's going to be a great game. Spain-Costa Rica is my is the least interesting game for me. Uh, Costa Rica are still reliant on uh, Brian Ruiz and Campbell and Kalo Navas, uh, and they're not going to do too well here. This will be a good win for Spain, who I don't... They're not going to make it out of the group, and this Spain team doesn't interest me at all, which is the opposite of the final game, which is Belgium-Canada, um, and I'm so excited for that because uh, who knows what we're going to get from Canada. Uh, this has been Mr. Sitter. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Moi.